right, let's open our Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I just saw this this morning uh, in Time Magazine's uh, uh, online version, and uh, it says these, the headline is this, these are the most godless cities in America. A a new survey ranks U.S. cities in terms of Bible-mindedness. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And uh, the first line says, America, you may have a new Sodom and Gomorrah. And the next paragraph is this. The two least Bible-minded cities in the United States are the adjacent metros of Providence, Rhode Island, and New Bedford, Massachusetts, according to a study out Wednesday from the American Bible Society. We hit the jackpot there, didn't we? The the study defines Bible-mindedness as a combination of how often respondents read the Bible and how accurate they think the Bible is. They read the Bible and they believe it. That is the Word of God. And uh, we are at the bottom. Out of 100, we're down there, number 100, Providence and New Bedford with 9%. 9%. The uh, winner was Chattanooga, Tennessee with 51%. People who read the Bible within the last seven days and believed it was true. So we're a little bit different here. You know, we just read the Bible. We believe it's God's Word. We've been studying this book of Thessalonians. You talk to them about that, you know, that they just accepted it as, as it was, the Word of God, that we believe it's God's Word. And so we, we believe it. We study it. We have a sinful format here. We, we worship. We sing worship songs. And then we read God's Word, and we, we, we study it to see what God would say through His Word. It's, it's a very simple format. Some people, it's not, it's not exciting enough. It's not this, it's not that, but that's just, a, that's just who we are. And, and, uh, but, but that focus on the Word of God, whatever church you might be in, not just ours, but those who focus on the Word, word of God kind of uh, makes it different from the majority, 93% of the people uh, in our area. Not somewhere else. We can't keep saying it's somewhere else. No, it's here. It's us. You say, well, that's not North Kingstown. Well, no, it's this whole area here. We have some of the best colleges in the country here in our state, and they are some of the most godless places in the country. Keep that in mind. Anyways, let's... uh, Get back to our study in First Thessalonians. We want to do a little review. Last uh, week we talked about leading a quiet life. Make it your ambition. <clears throat> excuse me. In verse uh, eleven, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to and to work with your hands, just as we told you. He talking about you know this ambition. What is our ambition? Do we we need to be the biggest and the best, or or, or is there something about having this quietness of mind and heart, as Warren Wiersbe said? Another person said this peace, this calm and rest and satisfaction in our lives. To lead a quiet life. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with with leading a very ordinary, simple, consistent, steadfast life. Nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, uh, we read in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says that we need to enjoy it. Enjoy the lot in life that God has given to us. 
Find enjoyment and be content with what he's given us. And, and that in itself is a witness to those around us. So today we're going to move on. And <clears throat> I want to ask you, how many, how many of you ever go to your uh, high school reunions? How many have never been to it? More? I feel good. I feel better. <laughs> I've never been to one. And uh, usually it was because I was too far away. I couldn't get there. Well, we just had ours this year. Forty, um, no, 35, <laughs> 35 years. 35? 45? 1978. Do the math for me. 1973. I'm sorry. I got married in 78. These numbers are all jumping around in my head now. 1973, I graduated. 40 years. I was right. 40. See, you're trying to confuse me. Listen, my mind is made up. 40 years, and so they had it this year. And I, I had seriously thought about going, but then I looked, and, and you can look and see who signs up to go. And I go, I don't even know. There's like, a, like 20 people, you know, out of hundreds that were, were in my class. And I go, I don't even know. Like, I might know one of those people. I'm like, I'm going to feel so weird. And then my wife said, I'm not going. And then I said, well, I guess I'm not going. <laughs> that sealed the deal for me. But really, it was the fact that there wasn't going to be anybody that I knew. There was this reunion was not going to be a reunion. It was going to be like awkward. And, you know, maybe if you had been going, you know, like five years and then 10 years. How many of you like kept it up like that after five and then after 10? Any of you had been like faithful all along the way? Like one person? <laughs> you know. I'm going to talk about reunion today, but the, this idea that there's hope and there's a hope of, of reunion, there's a hope of life after death that God gives us and, and God uh, reveals to us through his word. This idea that, you know, the question is, will we see those that have died? Will we see them again? And some we will. And also in this passage, we find what uh, people call the rapture. But look at verse 18, if you would, because that's really the key verse. Therefore, he says in verse 18, encourage each other with these words. And I want it to be encouraging. I want to encourage uh, you. I want to be encouraged by these words. Let's read them together, starting in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that, that uh, you would speak to our hearts today. And again, uh, we're glad that we have this Bible and we have the freedom. And, and yet, even though our 
our state is listed at the bottom of those that really uh, uh, take advantage of that freedom and even believe that it's your book, uh, we, we pray that, that you would uh, uh, turn this, this state, Lord. You'd bring us back to a faith that uh, so many things happened here back in, in hundreds of years ago uh, that you would bring about that uh, awakening again, Lord, that people's eyes would be open to the need of a Savior, that, that your word is true and that we need to base our lives on your word and not on the world. So open our eyes, our hearts today, Lord, in Jesus' name. These Thessalonians, these <clears throat> believers that Paul's writing to, they had been taught, they had, knew, they had known, they, they knew about the return of Jesus. Paul had told them that they'd heard, they'd heard teaching about the return of Jesus. They, they believed that it was imminent. That means it could come at any time, that it was going to be soon. But during this time of waiting, some of them were dying. And so they were kind of worried that those who had died, would, they would like miss out on this great event. What Paul is talking about here is that, it, that definitely not, they will, they will not miss out. In fact, they're going to be right in the forefront when this all begins to take place. He says there, brothers, we, not, we do not want you to be ignorant. And, and he's not using a derogatory term like we would say basically what it means is without knowledge. We don't want you to be without knowledge. We don't want you, the, you know, to not know what is going to happen. We're going to, we want you to be informed. You know, there are so many things that we don't know. And the Bible uh, really kind of opens our eyes and gives us knowledge. You read about it in the Proverbs and, and, and that, you know, the, the the Word of God will give us the knowledge. And you read about it in Psalm 119 that, that His Word gives us the knowledge that we need. And that's why we're reading it in study. But, but we, you know, we, we're all learning. We're all growing. And, and, and I can say about myself that I am kind of ignorant about a lot of things. And some of you are nodding your heads like, yeah, we know. We know you're an ignoramus. No, no one would ever say that to me. Would you? Okay. I heard that over here. But he says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And what he talks about there, falling asleep, that means to die, basically. That's a biblical um, expression for dying, those who have died. And the truth of the matter is that we will not all stay alive until Jesus returns. And, and that was happening back there in the first century as well. And now we're many, many centuries removed from there. We're not all going to stay alive until Jesus returns. It's just not going to happen. So does that mean we lose out? Paul is saying, he's saying here, listen, should we, should we grieve? He says that, look, uh, we... We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't also don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We don't want you to worry. We don't want you to be grieving like the rest of the world that, that don't have any kind of hope because Jesus came to bring us hope. Now, we can grieve. He's not saying that none of us should grieve, and, and perhaps you've been, um, you know, you lost somebody. And someone insensitively said, you know, well, they were a Christian and you just shouldn't grieve at all and you should be happy for them and you need to be having a party. 
And you know what? You're just plain sad because you've lost someone that meant a lot to you. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. He says, don't grieve like men who have no hope. There's a different kind of grieving. I'm, I'm very sad about losing people that have died in my life. I want you to, to, uh, to get your bulletin and put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because I'm going to turn back there a number of times. But <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Denise read some verses from there too. But I want, I want you to keep it a marker in there because we're going to go back to it. But look at verses 19 and 20. He says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But a Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If, if all the hope we have is just to be happy in Jesus today in this life, what good is it? Let's just go out and, and, and get all that this world has to offer. But he says that's not the case because Jesus Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And, and that, is the, that is the turning point. That is the crucial factor in the whole uh, uh, world that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, as Paul said. But he was also raised from the dead. That's what makes all the difference. To grieve, yet... With hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The first fruits, notice that word, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, he, is, his, he has indeed, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, is, he has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he was the first one, and then others would follow. I think about people in my life. I think recently my brother Michael who trusted in Jesus Christ. I think about my oldest brother Andrew who died at 31 years old who had also trusted in Christ. I think about uh, a friend, uh, Tony Marinelli, who was the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Cape Cod who died this week. I think about Ed Margarita. I think about Cynthia. I grieve. It's sad. I think about Bill Kinneman. I'm looking forward to seeing Bill. I'm looking forward to this reunion. I'm looking forward to seeing these people again because this is what he's talking about here. The hope of heaven and the hope of reunion that we have more than what the world has. There's something radically different. Not just a little bit more. We're talking about a whole brand new life, a whole, a whole eternity together, that we have hope, we have more, but the hope is only in Jesus. The world does not have this hope. It doesn't, it's not, you know, automatic to every man, woman, and child. It's for those that believe in Jesus Christ. One writer said this, inscriptions on tombs. And references in literature show that first century pagans, unbelievers, they, they viewed death with horror as the end of everything. And the Christian attitude was in strong contrast. They, they saw death as horrifying. Now that doesn't mean that we love and look forward to death. I, I, you know, I can't wait until I die. You know, I can't wait to be with Jesus. I'm not looking forward to going through the pain of death. I'm not a masochist. I'm not, you know, thinking that, you know, I just can't wait to suffer. There's sometimes when I think, you know, I'd, I would just like to, I'd like to go home now. I've had enough of this. Any of you ever feel that way? 
I just had enough, so I'd like to go home. And God says, I don't think so. It's not time yet. But I have a hope of what's going to happen when I do die. In the meanwhile, I need to do what God's called me to do. Serve in the way that God's called me to serve. Be involved with people's lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 talks about those that are apart from Christ. He says that they're without hope and without God in the world. Without hope and without God in the world. The very next verse he says this. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We were without hope and without God in the world. I know I was. I was without hope, without God in the world. I was lost. But in Christ Jesus, I was far away, but I have been brought near through the blood of Christ. I've been given hope that I, that I never had before. Death is not final. It's not the end for the believer. This word hope, uh, just to give you a biblical understanding of it, a biblical definition, is confident expectation. I want you to remember that. The hope that we have is not wishful thinking. That's the world's kind of hope. Wishful thinking, I, you know, I hope I get a new job. I hope I get a raise. I hope to raise the minimum wage. I hope that, you know... My house is, you know, not going to fall apart. I hope that my car doesn't break down. I hope that I, I hope, I wish. No, the biblical definition, understanding of, of hope is this confident, certain expectation that when I die, I'm going to be with Him. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, back a few books. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. <clears throat> Why can I say these things? Because, because this is what God's Word says. For me, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. To die is gain. It's not the end. It's not loss. It's not, you know, it's all over now. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul kind of struggled with it, but he knew that God wanted him to stay and serve and do what God called him to do. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 15 again, where your marker is. Remember that. To the last verses there in Verse 15, chapter 15, except the ones that Denise read. Verse 55, where, O death? Well, let's start in verse 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but... Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to, to worry that death is going to be the end because to live is Christ, to die is gain. And death has been defeated by Jesus Christ. It's ours. That whole chapter, the theme of the chapter 15 of the book of 1 Corinthians is what? 
Can anybody tell me? Resurrection. The whole book, the whole chapter of that book is about resurrection, being raised. It all begins with Jesus being resurrected from the dead. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. He goes on to say this, We believe. We believe we trust. This is faith he's talking about here. This is what we believe. This is the simple gospel. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. The, the simple, powerful gospel is this, that He died for our sins. And then He rose again. You say, well, that's just too simple. You say, well, can you give us some, like some meat, some real depth? That is the depth. That is the meat. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, defeating death. You see, our, our number two, our, our top two enemies as human beings are sin and death. Sin and death. Our sins, they're going to kill us, right? That's another way of saying Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is what? Is death. Our sins are going to kill us. But we can be forgiven of our sins because of Jesus, what He did on the cross. He died. He took my place. He paid the price for my sins there. But when He rose from the dead, He defeated death. That's what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been defeated. It's been swallowed up by life, by, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Someone said this, He bore the full horror of death so that those who believe in Him would not have to. I mentioned that, you know, the, the first century, they, they, they saw death with horror. It was horror, horrifying. But Jesus went through the horror of it for us so that we would not have to. That's the simple gospel truth. Back to 1 Corinthians 15 again. Yes. That's why we have that marker there. It goes quickly, but I don't have a marker. So I, I struggle, but I have it printed in my notes here anyways. But I like to turn with you because I like to hear pages moving. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Now back to the beginning. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. You receive it. John talks about you believe and you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the truth. And then you take your stand upon it. But he says, by this gospel, you are saved. This is how we are saved. This is how we are given new life through the gospel. He says, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. That we know that this is God's message. This is God's word. And look what it is in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the truth right there. That's what we're building our lives upon, the, the, the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Apart from that, we've got nothing. If we, if we leave that out, we've just got a social club. There's no point. We're just to be pitied along with everybody else. 
Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, of the gospel, he said, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This is where the power is. You say, I want power in my life. It's right here. And so we believe. Because we believe back in 1 Thessalonians, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe in that. And so we believe that, that he was the first fruits, as we read in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He will bring those believers who have died. Why? And how can we say that? Because they are already with him. They're not in some kind of soul sleep and some kind of, you know, suspended animation. Why do you say that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are confident and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. So we're absent from the body. We die. And death is like a separation in many ways. We're absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we immediately are with Him. The thief on the cross next to Jesus, what did Jesus tell him? Well, I'll see you in a few thousand years. You know, um, <clears throat> have a nice sleep. Reminds me of a movie I saw once. <laughs> it's called Rocket Man. And they got in these chambers and they went to sleep. You know, the gas went in. How many of you remember this? The gas went in and there was a chamber for Rocket Man. And they were taking this uh, trip to Mars, I believe it was. And there was a monkey on board too. And the monkey, um, he went into the wrong chamber. He went into Rocket Man's chamber. And so Rocket Man, <laughs> Rocket Man couldn't go to sleep. So he had to be alive this whole time. That is so important to this message. <laughs> So he did all kinds of crazy stuff. You'll have to watch it. It's a very, very good movie. It's very clean, and it's one of the few movies I can actually recommend. But they went into this sleep for this long, 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 long period of time, and that's not the way it is. Jesus told the thief next to him this day, today, what he says, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. So immediately we go to be with the Lord. Someone said this, they are, they are in heaven already. And they will come back with Jesus. They haven't missed out. They were worried they were going to miss out, these ones that had died. They haven't missed out. In fact, they are enjoying God's presence. And their souls rise immediately at death. And eventually, their bodies will be raised as well. Are you following all that? It's kind of hard to kind of put this all together. They go, we go to be with Jesus immediately after we die. But, but then it says here that God will bring with those Bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Him. Bring back from heaven as He comes down those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Let's go on because there's a little more to that in a minute. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're not going to be ahead of those. Verse 16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Okay, so he's bringing those with him, but then there's this resurrection that's taking place. He says those, they will rise first. There will be a rising. That's what he's talking about, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. He says, this rising in a flash and the twinkling of an eye. The dead will be raised imperishable, he said. And we will be changed. This radical thing that's taking place now. Resurrection is taking place. New bodies. It's not the same old body. He's not putting together the old body. He says the dead in Christ will rise first. He's not putting together the old body so, you know, we got to live with this forever. God forbid that that would be the case. In fact, that's why in the Garden of Eden, he blocked the way to the tree of life because if they ate of the tree of life, they could just be in these decaying old bodies forever and ever. And who would want to be and, and have that happen? You see. But you read the whole chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians. We don't have time to read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, but he talks about you know, being raised imperishable. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. These bodies that we have now, it's no good to put them all back together because they are perishable and they are mortal and they will fail again. But the new body, I'm looking for the new body. It's going to have like hair. It's going to, you know, perfect eyesight, perfect hearing. Man, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be looking good. That's all I can say. Some of you are thinking, well, you look good already, but it's a matter of opinion, I think. Verse 17, let's follow along here. After that, the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, we who are still alive and are left, we're still there on the earth, says we will be caught up together with them. With them. Who are them? Those dead in Christ that have been rising that are rising we will we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will be with the lord forever this is a radical this verse here is so incredibly radical despite what your eschatology might be eschatology all that means is the study of end times this last things it doesn't matter what you think about all these things. This is a radical verse. This is radical. After that, he says, we are still alive and left. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Encourage each other with these words, he said. This word for caught up right here, you say, well, people say, well, there's no word for the rapture in the Bible. That word is not found in the Bible. That's true. It's not found in the Greek language. But, but this word caught up, translated in the Latin Vulgate, Latin language is the word rapturo or rapturus or, 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 or a, a form of that word. And that's where the word rapture comes from. Well, you don't want to use the word rapture, okay, but you still got to use the word for caught up, that something radical is going to take place. This is what God's word says, and, and this is for, for us to, to uh, be encouraged by. This is God's promise. This is going to happen, okay? 
Now, you say that, and, and, and you say, well, when? And the truth is that not everybody agrees about when this event will occur. Okay, I can accept that, that not everybody agrees about when it will occur. But reading this and looking at it, in my mind, there's not a question about if it will occur. I think we have to look at that and say it's, it's so black and white and clear that this will happen. Whether you call it the rapture or a catching up or a, a caught away, this radical event will happen. Now, what are some of the views, uh, uh, some of the most common views uh, that it's going to occur before the Great Tribulation? We call that the pre-tribulation rapture, right? Many of you have heard these terms, and they're not new. Some would hold that it's a mid-tribulation rapture, in the middle of the seven years, the seven years of this great tribulation period, that in the middle of it, this rapture occurs. And some believe that it happens at the end of these seven years. Well, personally, I can only tell you what my personal view is. I believe that it's before the great tribulation, and why do I believe that? It's because the tribulation period is this time of God's wrath poured out. The wrath of God poured out. And look at, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Turn back a few pages there. Look at verse, 1, uh, verse 10. It says in chapter 1, he says, And to wait, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then in, in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he talks again about this. Look at chapter 5 and verse 10, or 9, excuse me. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. So I believe that, that it's before the great tribulation period. Now, you and I might have different opinions, and that's okay. I, you know, I'm not intimidated by that. I'm not threatened by that. Because the truth of the matter is, is God is going to do it when God decides to do it. No matter what you think, no matter what I think, God is going to do it. And this is very clear that it's going to happen. And that we should find encouragement and hope in the fact that, you know what? It's going to happen. It is going to happen. So don't send me any letters. Don't, you know, catch me in the, in the hallway and say, listen, I want to straighten you out. That's okay. You know, we don't all have to agree on everything about everything. But some things are so black and white, we have to say, well, that's what it says, that something like this is going to happen. Right? What I want to uh, close this whole thought about is this, is, is what does he say there? Look at, look at, let's read it again, verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You see, the most important part about this is to be together with Jesus and those other people. In the Lord, forever, with the Lord forever. That's the most important part about it. 
It's not exactly when it's going to happen. Next week, I want to talk a little bit more about um, times and dates, and maybe I'll give you the dates. If you, if you press me hard enough, look at chapter 5, verse 1, about times and dates. You know, Paul didn't want to write about it, but I'll go ahead and share it with you next week. But this idea that, that we are going to be with him and with others, people like the ones that I've mentioned, together, forever, reunited. That's a real reunion with our believing friends and our loved ones who have died, someone said. Reunited, together. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, again, some very familiar verses, but, but it, you know, the Bible all fits together. That blows me away sometimes. Uh, well, it blows me away all the time, the way the Bible fits together. The words from one writer to another writer, how God took all these different writers and, and spoke and, and, and how the words, they dovetail together. It's absolutely incredible. But look at verse 1, chapter 14, the Gospel of John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. See that? I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. That's what it's all about. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, he talks about love. Love is important, he says, but one day we're going to be, we only have like a partial knowledge. But one day we're going to see face to face. We're going to be there with him. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. When life gets really hard, when things are tough here, God is with us, but you know what? We're going to be with Him one day. That gives us the courage to keep going, that helps on the way that Jesus is returning and that heaven is our home and Jesus is going to take us there. That the future is very, very bright and there's more to life than this. That Jesus is the way, He is the answer and and He is our hope. I want to close uh, in 1 John chapter 2. Let's close there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. 1 John 2, 28. <clears throat> James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. He says, And now, dear children, continue in Him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Continue in him. Hold on to that truth of the gospel, of the cross and the resurrection. Continue in him. Keep, keep fighting. Keep looking up. Because our redemption is coming. We're one day closer. No matter what we think about when the timing or how these things are all, all going to work out, we are one day closer to being in his presence. That is a fact. That is true. And, and, and I want to be confident. I want to be unashamed before him at his coming. 
continue in him. Let's live for him and in him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for that hope, that blessed hope that we have, that Jesus is coming and he's coming for us. And we want to be ready. We want to be looking for it. Lord, uh, we don't know about all, we don't have all the answers and our knowledge is limited. We're not omniscient, but you are and we can, we can hold on to you and, because you have all the answers. You are the truth. You know all things. And we only know a few things. So God, we call upon you. We, we call upon the name of Jesus Christ that we would be ready, that would, we would be uh, continuing in him, confident and unashamed when you return, Lord. Like those that were looking up and those that were ready and that had enough provisions to, to get us through, to be ready for your return. Lord, help us to understand, but most of all, help us to be ready. And Lord, we thank you so much that, that you have given us this hope. That we are going to be reunited with those that, that have died. Those that, that uh, believed in you, that are now with you in heaven. And that one day we will be together, reunited with them. And also together with you, which is even most important. Father, I pray... For any here today, Lord, that do not know you, that do not have this hope, the hope of eternal life there at this moment in time without hope and without God in the world, I pray right now that you would open their hearts and lives to see that the gospel, the truth, that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again is truth for them, for each, for each person, for the whole world, for any who would open their hearts and lives to that truth and, and receive this truth. Receive Jesus himself into your heart and life. If that's you today, you can simply pray and open your life to him along with me right now and simply pray and say, Lord, I come. I come broken and lost. And I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I receive you into my heart and my life that you'd be my Lord and you'd be my Savior that I could have the hope that confident expectation of eternal life that it's going to happen it's just a matter of time in Jesus name Amen Amen let's stand and sing